Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. On Commons People this week, are the royals racist? And also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. How can women feel safer? And I do it literally walking over Westminster Bridge before I leave Parliament. Um, when it's dark, I get my keys out of my handbag so there is no delay getting in the front door of my flat. And Tory splits emerge again. Will she reconsider and at least, at least propose a larger increase for lower paid NHS workers? Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Paul War. Hi Arj. Hi Paul. Rachel Wearmouth is also Hi, here. Hi. Hi Rachel. And we've got the Conservative MP and Chair of the Commons Women and Equalities Committee, Caroline Noakes. Hi Arj. Hi Caroline. Well, it's been an important week on Caroline's patch, which started with the royal family facing accusations of racism against Meghan Markle. That bombshell interview was followed by International Women's Day when we learned that Boris Johnson wants to promote more women to the cabinet in a reshuffle soon. Then government equality advisor Jane Ozan quit because she feels the PM's administration has created a hostile environment for LGBT people. And we have also seen social media flooded with women sharing their experiences feeling unsafe in public following the disappearance of South London woman Sarah Everard. A serving Metropolitan Police officer has been arrested in connection with her disappearance. Let's just listen to the response of Met Police Commissioner Cressida Dick. The news today that it was a Metropolitan Police officer that was arrested on suspicion of Sarah's murder has sent waves of shock and anger through the public and through the whole of the Met. I speak on behalf of all my colleagues in the Met when I say that we are utterly appalled at this dreadful news. Our job is to patrol the streets and protect people. Um, Rachel, the, the Sarah Everard case has struck a chord with many women. Why? I think in short because it's so relatable and yet so, so shocking. So this is a 33-year-old graduate. She works in marketing, lives in South London. Um, She was walking home, doing her usual route, and then she disappeared and remains have been found. Um, And I think it's so relatable in that every woman has felt unsafe um, walking in the dark, walking alone at some point. And, and, And everyone can relate to this feeling of unease like this every woman can relate to this feeling of, of somehow being hunted um and I just think that it's it's that kind of just the way that it's relatable it makes it just really really is hitting home with a lot of of women who have kind of can, can all share this feeling of feeling unsafe um and it just feels like we've been through all of the sort of me too um upheaval and yet it just somehow feels that just like nothing has changed and we know that that, that we've been through the coronavirus lockdown we know that domestic abuse killings have, have doubled during that time and this week we were marking international women's day and it just feels 
just so shocking and so it just makes a lot of women feel so angry and just that we want change and we want to feel heard. Caroline, uh, have you felt similarly unsafe walking the streets? We've seen lots of women kind of sharing their stories of of how they feel when they're out and about and kind of techniques they, they're forced to use. Do you, have you experienced similar things? Oh, yeah, I think we all do it. I think we all walk home with our keys, whether it's, you know, walking to your car with your car keys primed at the ready or walking with your house key, uh, literally in your fist with one key poking out so that if somebody attacks me, I can take their eye out. Um, and that's horrific, isn't it? Because how many men walk home and I do it literally walking over Westminster Bridge before I leave Parliament um, when it's dark I get my keys out of my handbag so there is no delay getting in the front door of my flat so that if somebody does attack me I at least have the chance of striking back and then running like hell and I go to work in my trainers and change into shoes sometimes when I'm there and go home again in my trainers because you know I can't run in heels and I was sharing with my secretary a story from I think last year where I came back to Southampton Parkway Railway Station and it was late at night, it was dark, and my car was on the seventh floor of the multi-storey car park. And a man followed me, literally matching me step for step the whole way up those uh, stairs. And when we got to floor six, he just looked at me and said, it's okay, I'm not following you, my car's parked up here. And it was the feeling of relief that he'd actually said that to me. And I suddenly just felt reassured because I had gone up six flights of stairs being terrified that I was being followed to my car and what the hell would I do and was my handbag heavy enough to clonk him around the head so yeah I'm sure I can relate to every story that you've seen on social media and the horror that a youngish woman has gone missing uh, on her usual walk home and then a week later you, you find that she's being killed and we know that it's rare we know that it doesn't happen, but that doesn't mean that women's perception that it might happen to them is, is not real. Of course it's real, and it leaves a whole range of us living in fear, and that's not right. Yeah, you've raised some interesting points there about how the, the man um, who was coming up the stairs behind you kind of said to you, look, don't worry, I'm not following. Could, could he have done that earlier? And, and do you think men need to do more to... You know, you know, men who aren't going out and offending need to do more to help women feel safe when, when, when we're. Well, out I felt I, I felt bad for him that he'd felt the need to say that, um, but I had been scared, and I had, you know, from probably about floor two or three, thought, oh, he's walking up the same way as me, and why hasn't he got in the lift, and should I have got in the lift, or is the lift a dangerous place to be on your own at night anyway? So don't get in the lift. Um, and I think men do have the opportunity, I'm not going to say the responsibility, they have the opportunity to give reassuring messages. And I think I think many do, and I thank them for that. Um, but, you know, this is this is a societal problem. We have women living in fear, fear men afraid to, to say anything because they, they don't know what to say in those circumstances. And it's an incredibly difficult situation. And, and do you think the government can do anything about this? What would you like to see from ministers? Oh, so I think... Um, from ministers in particular, we've seen more investment in police and more police on the beat. I think that that could go up again. Um, I think it's really important that one of the things that makes women in particular feel reassured is a visible police presence. And I think that that's important. Yeah, interesting. Uh, obviously, the government's committed to 20,000 more officers on the street, but that only covers the, the number of officers that were cut uh, in the pre previous sort of 10 years. Would you like to see a bigger commitment? 
Yeah, I think I would. I really would. And in all parts of the country, you know, the focus at the moment is tragically on London, um, made worse by the fact that this is a Met police officer uh, that's been arrested. But actually, it's the same in many, I was about to say in many big cities, but in many towns as well. Um, and there is an enormous piece of work to be done to A, restore police numbers, but I would like to see them grow. Paul, uh, turning to some of the other stories of the week, it's kind of been a bit of a difficult time for the government on equalities, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've just seen overnight, actually, that the LGBTQ advisor to the government has quit. Uh, Two of them advisors have quit um, because they've got real concerns about the government's agenda on a variety of things, but particularly on trans rights um, and the idea of conversion therapy and the government not being clear enough about that this week. Kemi Badenoch, the minister in the House, wasn't that reassuring to a lot of people. And I think what also worries people is that actually Liz Truss, her boss, ultimately on equalities, um, doesn't seem to be taking the issue seriously in terms of trans rights. Um, And there's a reason for that. And it seems as though Liz Truss is really quite keen on pushing what's called the, you know, the culture war on woke. And she's been very open about that. And there's no question she's reaped the benefits when it comes to things like, for example, the con home internal poll of how popular people are. I mean, Liz Truss is right up there amongst cabinet ministers. She's very popular with Tory members, it seems, for what she's doing. But whether or not that um, translates into whether or not uh, the Conservative Party is seen as progressive on these issues is a different matter entirely. And I think that's one of the real worries is that the guts of this issue, Gender Recognition Act, Theresa May was a big supporter in reforming that. That fell by the wayside. Obviously, with her departure, I mean, Caroline might be able to tell us a bit more about what she thinks is going to be the next step on this. But under Liz Truss, it seems as though um, she's advising the prime minister not to go fast on that at all. And it's really unclear what's going to happen on trans rights. Yeah, Caroline, I mean, what what do you make of that assessment? Well, I don't know that I would disagree with what with much of what Paul said. Uh, Certainly, my committee is currently doing uh, an inquiry on the Gender Recognition Act, trans rights, um, and we've had some really important, interesting evidence over the course of the last few weeks. Um, But we remember it was, I think, last year now that Liz made, um, came out with a statement on gender recognition, introducing more clinics, which we later discovered were existing clinics, There's a massive backlog for transgender people getting the treatment that they need. And I'm not convinced that the government's plans are going to resolve that problem at all. And we also, as part of that, saw the announcement last summer that the government was going to uh, ban conversion therapy. And we all interpreted that as ban. And now when you look closely at the wording, it comes across as end conversion therapy. Now, I don't regard this as therapy. Therapy is about treating people for a disorder, being gay is not a disorder. Um, So I absolutely think that the government has to be much bolder on this, work out how it can legislate uh, and do it quickly, because there are a lot of people today feeling exactly the same way as Jane Ozan does. They feel very disappointed and as if the clock is being turned backwards. Yeah. I think um, the, the the wording that the Equalities Minister Kemi Badnock used, she kind of said that she she wasn't she didn't like the idea of the government intervening when it came to sort of people seeking spiritual guidance when um, when 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 
exploring their their se sexual identity. Um, and I think that was that's kind of annoyed a lot of Conservative MPs. Um, Caroline's not in there. Well, equally, I'm concerned that people are kind of trying to conflate a chat that you might have with your local vicar with conversion therapy. Um, and I think it's really important that we send out a very clear marker. Conversion therapy is wrong. It has to go. And that requires legislation. So I just want to see uh, the GEO come forward with the timetables to how they're going to do that. And they trailed it last summer as a almost as a sop. Look, we're going to ban conversion therapy because we recognise that we're not going far enough on trans rights. And now we're in this situation. It's not good enough. Uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of Conservative MPs feel like she didn't send a strong enough signal that there would be no kind of conversion therapy that would be okay. So you felt it wasn't a strong enough signal? Yeah, I really did. Um, and I think the government really needs to, to find its confidence on this. We know that conversion therapy is wrong. There may be some vociferous voices right on the periphery of this debate, but the mainstream is certainly saying crack on and ban it. And I think that's where the majority of Conservative MPs are, actually. Yeah, Caroline, Paul kind of raised the point there that, that this this war on woke that is being um, waged by some people in the Conservative Party, some senior people, possibly even the government, you could argue, is kind of um, bleeding into policy now. Do you, how dangerous do you think that is? So there's actually quite a bit of stuff that Liz Truss has come out with in recent weeks that I don't disagree with. I think it's important that when we look at equality, we are prepared to consider socioeconomic factors. We do have to look at those groups that are underperforming in our education system, that are underperforming uh, when it comes to getting into jobs and work out how we can help them. And some of that is socioeconomic, some of that's geographic. But what really worries me is that we have groups of people who have been discriminated against historically, uh, for, for years and years, who now have hard-won legislation to protect them from discrimination, and suddenly by wanting to champion women or wanting to champion uh, BAME people, having a history curriculum that they recognise and can relate to, I get accused of being, uh, being too woke for my own good. You know, it's being used as an insult, actually. I wear it as a badge of honour that I want us to stand up for people and do the right thing. Good stuff. Um, Rachel, we can't um, let the podcast go by without mentioning it, but um, the Prince Harry, Meghan Markle interview uh, in which a member of the royal family was accused of uh, racism for, for commenting on the prospective skin colour of the couple's child. Uh, number 10 refused to comment on it this week. Is that OK? Um Number 10 has repeatedly refused to, to comment on it, um, you know, as in terms of the Prime Minister's aides. And then Boris Johnson was asked about it himself during one of the press conferences. And he said, you know, best thing for me to do is say, say nothing for the Prime Minister, say nothing on this issue. And I can understand it's um, difficult for the Prime Minister because of, you know, the leader of Her Majesty's government, the relationship he has with the Queen as head of state. Um, but I think... I think this is not just a, a, a UK story. It's a massive, massive global story. And I think um, people probably uh, uh, look at the Prime Minister and think there's a lack of leadership there. Um, he maybe he could have sent a stronger signal that Buckingham Palace, regardless of, you know, 
regardless of our constitution is not beyond reproach um, and not least because of you know how the UK is being covered in America at the moment you know we all there, there, a lot of questions are being asked of um, of of the, the entire royal family and I think a lot of people would have wanted the prime minister to show a little bit more leadership to have said at least something yeah Caroline how do you think the PM should have responded to just to that specific allegation about racism, which is being is being used around the world to characterise the UK in a certain way. No, racism is wrong wherever it happens. I think the PM was in a very difficult position and the, uh, the monarchy don't comment on politics. And here we have the prime minister not commenting on the royalty. Um, I think it is important that he sends a really firm message that we don't tolerate racism in this country in the same way that we don't tolerate sexism, uh, discrimination against disabled people, gay people, etc., um, but I think it, it put him in a very difficult position. And I think uh, I haven't watched the interview and I don't know that I will watch the interview. I think it's incredibly sad that relations between the family have come to this and it's all being played out in the media. It's, um, I think, desperately sad, sad for all of them. Yeah, I didn't watch the interview either, but that's because Leeds United were playing. <laughs> Are you worried about how we're being seen abroad because of this? I think it's a really important consideration and we've had a horrible year because of COVID. Uh, that's impacted us financially. To not have uh, tourists coming to this country, potentially the American market is a massive one. I think we have to be concerned about it. Um, and I think there's, a, there's a, a way to go. And I welcome the fact that the Queen is having her own internal uh, investigations. I think that's important. Um, but I think I would like some transparency at the end of that. You know, what are the conclusions? What are the what are the outputs? What are we going to see change? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we must move on because this week the government has also managed to spark anger on its own back benches after proposing that NHS staff should only get a one percent pay rise despite a horrible year fighting the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, driven firmly onto the back foot, ministers are now refusing to rule out giving health workers either a bigger pay rise or a one-off bonus, as in Scotland. Uh, one Tory MP told me this week, we're all just waiting for the U-turn. Uh, Johnson has also faced criticism from some MPs for refusing to contemplate speeding up the process of unlocking the COVID restrictions, despite good news on cases, deaths and vaccinations. And there is anger over the government's clear hints that it's seeking to cut the foreign aid budget without allowing MPs a vote in the Commons. Let's hear former International Development Secretary Andrew Mitchell on that. If you withdraw aid from Somalia, you help uh, al-Shabaab, the terrorist organization, uh, rebuild itself in that jurisdiction. If you withdraw the aid that is spent on security, building security in northern Nigeria, you help Boko Haram, the terrorist organization uh, there. And across that whole belt of insecurity in North Africa, not far from Europe, but very dangerous for us, the terrorist recruiter draws strength when people understand the extent of their poverty and lack of opportunity in life. And British development money does a huge amount to try and tackle these colossal discrepancies of opportunity and wealth. Paul, the lockdown roadmap and budget were initially well received, but Tory MPs seem to be getting nervous, splits are opening up again. What might we see happen over the coming weeks? Well, I think there's a, a range of things that might well happen, and they're all a reflection of just how 
cannibalized or, or balkanized bits of the Tory backbenches are now. You've got the COVID recovery group. You've also got people who are really, really upset about international aid. And on that latter point, it's very striking that the government has t- so far decided it's just too scared to bring forward that that vote on on cutting international aid. It's got a statutory duty to do so if it needs to if it wants to go ahead. And yet we're in the curious sort of limbo position at the moment where Dominic Raab has decided not to bring forward that vote. Um, Andrew Mitchell is convinced, we've had him on the pod before, that he's basically got the numbers. And I think he's probably right about that. Um, so that's that's one thing that the, the government have got to sort of negotiate in the next few weeks. But the budget as well, there's obviously concern about the tax rises. But I think so far, most people have swallowed the corporation tax rise. They're, they're, you know, they're, they don't want to rock the boat about that. They can see the long term situation. I think the, the Chancellor's managed in terms of political um, handling of this, um, he's managed the benches quite well. But there's a whole host of things that I think that Johnson will be quite nervous about, put it that way, in the next few weeks. Yeah, Caroline, uh, you made clear last night in an interview that you'd like to see NHS workers given more than the 1% pay rise. Do you think a bonus would be a good idea? And do you think the government's been a bit tin-eared given the past year? Yeah, I think very tin-eared. Um, and I was, as I said last night, I was stunned that the 1% recommendation went forward to the independent panel. I mean, it's got a long way to go. And I don't wish to sound like I'm channeling the TUC here, but they've been saying all week, there is a long process. Um, and there is. So I would be surprised. I mean, I think you referred to one of my colleagues saying they were sitting back and waiting for the U-turn. And I would be surprised if we end up at this figure but it might be a better way to do it as a one-off bonus, recognise that this has been an exceptional, horrific year for NHS workers. But, you know, this is something that the health secretary and the chancellor will be wrestling with, no doubt. But I think they will do better than 1%. I think they have to do better than 1%. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, I wanted to ask you as well about this this proposal to cut the aid budget without a Commons vote. What, what do you make of that? So, look, I... Um, I approach this very much from the perspective of the aid budget does brilliant work around the globe, specifically in making sure that girls are educated. Um, and I think any any budget that we have for international aid is going to be shrunken anyway. It's 0.7%. Um, and we know that the overall pot is going to be smaller because the economy has shrunk. So I have really grave concerns about it. I, there should be a commons vote. It would be absolutely reprehensible to try and bulldoze this through through without one and they've got a duty to have a commons vote so um i'm sure we'll see one but there's obvious nervousness around bringing it forward and i've heard all sorts of tales about this will be seen as a a confidence issue uh, i've been there before um and it's it's not a comfortable place to be but it's not a confidence issue this is a principle matter do we think that we should be balancing our books on the backs of the world's poorest well i don't yeah, so so are you being told by whips then that you'll you'll lose you know you risk losing uh, party membership or, or or losing the whip if you if you vote against the government on aid? Uh, if I'm being candid, not a single whip has had a single conversation with me about this. But Andrew Mitchell is um, he's a hell of an operator, uh, and you'll have seen that he's getting many of us to put our names to parliamentary questions to articles in the media. 
Um, and he's, you know, he's lining us up to show the strength of our opinion on this. Yeah, former chief whip, of course, doing what he does best, I suppose. Rachel, just quickly, uh, Labour has launched its election campaign this morning, having had a few, bad few weeks in the polls. Um, what have they been going on? Um, well, they've they went they've gone really strong on the NHS pay. You know, that's kind of they feel that that's going to be the strongest campaign and issue for them, even though you know pay is not exactly a local government issue. <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's brushed up several times during his launch today. Um, Keir Starmer has. Um, he's he kind of gave himself away a little bit though, in that in that he kind of he turned to the the vaccine because the, the, the Labour Party very much expects the Conservatives to get a vaccine bounce, considering how successful the rollout has been. And and his his line on that was that um, it should not not blind us. He said um, to to the mistakes that the 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 Prime Minister had made previously, as in too slow to lock down and the the severity of the economic crisis that we're we're facing but you know that was kind of a very you know clear attempt to try and change that conversation because and it shows that he's aware that the conservatives can expect a, a bounce in the polls because of the the successful rollout of the vaccine yeah caroline i suppose with with the massively successful we have to say rollout of the vaccine the conservatives expectations for the local elections have probably gone up a bit I think it's worth reflecting that we're going into a massive set of elections, uh, defending seats that were at all-time highs. The 2017 county elections, which are up this time, they came just a month before the 2017 general election, which was not brilliant, but the, the county elections were absolutely brilliant results. So uh, I, I don't know really what to predict, but I think it's a really cynical to try and pretend that your vote for your county councillor or the London mayor is going to have any impact whatsoever on nurses' pay. I mean, it's just not set by local authorities, is it? Yeah, no, fair, fair comment. I'm sure plenty of Conservatives will be saying that over the coming weeks. So, oh, I'm excited about an election anyway, but now it's time for the quiz. Hooray! Uh, <laughs> and given the week we've had, it's all about um, royals in politics. Oh, God. Uh, so just, just shout the answer if you know it. Um, some are, some are fairly easy, I think. Um, question number one, why was Princess Diana accused of meddling in UK politics by Conservative backbenchers in 1997? So, going to be landmines. No, yep. it was landmines. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, um, it was calling for the eradication of landmines, but also planning to attend an APPG meeting on the issue. Um, and she, had, she pulled out of it amid criticism. Um, but yeah, point to you, Caroline. Question number two. Uh, in 2016, the Sun newspaper found itself in hot water with press regulators after claiming the Queen backed which political cause? Remain. Was, was it, it, it was Brexit? Brexit. Queen backed Brexit, yeah. It was leave, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a point to Rachel, I think, was uh, just first. Uh, and final question. Uh, so it's a... Paul can draw it or Rachel and Caroline can win it. Um, which royal uh, inadvertently let slip last year that they thought Donald Trump has blood on his hands? Ooh, who's that? Was it it's, Prince Charles? No, it's over environmental issues. So I'll give you a clue. That's why I thought of Prince Charles. Um, Is that going to be Harry? It was Harry. Well done. Yeah, he was. He fell victim to Russian hoaxes posing as Greta Thunberg on a phone call. Uh, well done, Caroline. You've won the quiz at the first attempt. 
Congratulations. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests for joining me and make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels and please be sure to leave a review and get your daily dose of what's happening in Westminster by subscribing to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash the hyphen war hyphen zone. We'll just leave you with Labour MP Tony Lloyd, who got the blues during a speech in the Commons this week. This government has failed, this budget has failed, and the Chancellor has failed the nation. Video link. That's what I like, there was a timer there. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.